He was up <clears throat> before the crack of dawn. It was dark outside. See, as he stumbled out and rubbed his eyes, he could see stars in every direction. It was quiet. It was the way it always was when he got up in the morning because he was a fisherman. And his entire life he had been a fisherman. And his father was a fisherman and his father before him. And so everyone in that family was up by four in the morning every day. And that was just normal. It had been a while since he had left his life on the Sea of Galilee and exchanged his role as a fisher of fish to become a fisher of men. But like every morning when he got up before everybody else and walked outside and stretched, he allowed his mind to remember what had been going on. It had been an amazing couple of months. It sort of all launched when, when <laughs> Jesus told him, hey, go into town there and steal a donkey. And if anybody asks you about it, just tell them the Lord has need of it. And, and he went in and they got this donkey and they started walking. Somebody said, hey, where do you think you're going with the donkey? And he said, the Lord has need of it. And he couldn't forget the look on the guy's face when he just went, okay. And before long, Jesus was riding into town on that donkey, and it was incredible. The place was a buzz. Everybody was screaming and cheering and shouting, Hosanna, glory to God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had never seen such excitement because their Messiah was coming into town for Passover. <clears throat> he would deliver them, and they could hear the clock ticking in their heads. They knew the time was short before the Roman government would be overthrown and Jesus would be put on the throne and order would be restored to their lives. But only a few days later, there was an arrest, several terrible mock trials, all under cover of darkness. And their Savior dragging a cross up a hill to a place where they would ultimately put him to death. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he remembered, he could see it vividly in his mind. He could hear the sounds and smell the smells because he was right there near the front watching and weeping. And he was there with Jesus' mother. And Jesus looked at him and said, John... From now on, I want you to treat her like she's your mother. Take care of her for me. And then he breathed his last and he died. And he remembered being brokenhearted. He remembered the confusion. He remembered how terrified they all were and how they went into hiding and didn't know what to do. And they barely had time to prepare the body before they had to put it in the tomb. And now the tomb was sealed and, and their hearts were broken and they were hiding away because they didn't want to be found and face the same plight. Then they got this word. Some women came. They were all excited, said, you know, the tomb is empty. I don't know what happened, but he's gone. He's risen. And he remembered running down to the tomb with Peter and peeking in and seeing the grave clothes lying flat and the, and the face cloth rolled up in the corner, but no Jesus. And then that day when they finally saw him, 
that day when he finally came to them and they saw that he was flesh and blood risen from the dead, that he had overcome sin and death on their behalf. And they got to be with him. They got to be with the glorified, resurrected Jesus. And it was basically a 40-day adventure with Jesus as they spent time with him and he taught them and he encouraged them and he told them what was coming and what to do and how to do it. And during those 40 days, it was like every day was better than the last and he could remember it like it was yesterday. And then he remembered that Jesus took them, just a, a small group of them, out into an open place and he began to give them a pep talk. He began to tell them about what he had in mind for them and how they were going to change the world. But he said, you're going to have to wait until my spirit comes. Stay in Jerusalem and wait until the spirit comes. He didn't say how long it would be. He didn't say how they would know. He just said, wait. And while he was talking in mid-sentence, he began to ascend into the clouds and they stood there with their necks craned and their mouth hanging open watching and not knowing what to do or what to say. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Some angels appeared and said, what are you idiots doing? Why are you standing here looking into the sky? Didn't he just tell you to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you? And so they did. And they went to Jerusalem and he remembered gathering some of the, of the strongest believers there in that upper room somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 of them just waiting and waiting, not knowing what they're waiting for, not knowing what to look for and just sitting there day after day. Nobody brought a deck of Uno cards. There's n it says what they did was they prayed a lot and they waited. And they prayed some more and they waited. And they took care of some business that needed to be taken care of because Judas had killed himself and there needed to be a 12th apostle. And so they appointed Matthias to be the 12th of the apostles. And they waited there for 10 days, just praying and waiting, praying and waiting. Nobody's sure what they were waiting for, but trusting Jesus until the day of Pentecost came. And on the day of Pentecost, there was this sound that began to just fill the city. And it was the sound that was described like a violent rushing wind, only there was no wind, just a sound. And it shocked everyone and made them stop, kind of like an earthquake does here, right? You're right in the middle of whatever you're in the middle of and, and you go, does anybody feel that? They, they heard this sound. What, what is the sound? It's, it's going toward that place and they began to gather. And when they got there, they found out of those 120 followers of Jesus, something that looked like a tongue of fire above their heads. And those believers in Jesus began to speak the gospel to them, all in different languages that they didn't know. And as the people who had gathered for the feast 
all came together from all different countries, different cultures, different languages, different racial backgrounds. They're all there in Jerusalem. And the Lord is speaking to them the gospel through these Jewish believers in the language of their home countries. And they're all hearing it and they're amazed and they don't know what to think of it and they don't know what to do. And so Peter finally stands up and he opens the scroll and he begins to read from the book of Joel. And he says, this is what the prophet said was coming. And I will send my spirit upon you and you will be empowered in the last days. And he stood there and preached a message. And in the end, he said, so what you need to do right now is repent. You need to turn from your sin and become a follower of Jesus. And the scripture says that on that day, when, when Peter preached repentance, that 3,000 of them were saved and added to that number. And the whole city was a buzz. Everybody was talking about it. And that morning in the darkness as John just stretched and scratched his head, he couldn't believe the two months that had passed. And he began to wonder, what about the days ahead? What's God going to do? Because he said he was going to change the world through us. And, and God clearly had a plan. And his plan wasn't just about the 12. And it turns out that his plan wasn't just about the 120 that were there in the upper room. It turns out that even on that day, 3,000 more were added to a church of 120. And, and there were more coming every day to Christ, all from different regions, all with different languages, all with different backgrounds, all coming together in Christ. And, and God obviously had a plan, and it was going to be the church. That was his plan. And what was the church all about? What was it that preoccupied the church in those days? What got their time and their energy and attention? And, and that's a really important question for us to ask today. And here's the reason why. Because we are that same church. Okay? Think about it. We are that same church, the very same church that Jesus began when he said to the 12, go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. The very same church that was launched when tongues of fire sat above their heads and they spoke in languages they had never learned. That same church where 3,000 were swept into the kingdom that day and just left all their other plans and all their other desires and all their other uh, marks of their life and made it all about Jesus. We're that same church. There's been an unbroken chain through 2,000 years. We are not a new church. We are not a different church. We're not an independent church. We're the same church that burst onto the scene 50 days after the resurrection and 10 days after the ascension. Same Holy Spirit, same great commission, same purpose, same identity. We are that church. And what the church is all about then should inform us about what we should be all about today. So let's see what they were all about. Turn to the book of Acts. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 this morning. So in your New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So it's just a little ways into the New Testament. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. This is the story of the birth of the church. 
And, and all that I just told you has taken place leading up to this point. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, they've just seen 3,000 new believers come into the body of Christ. And, and, and everything they thought they understood was changing in an instant. All of a sudden, they had a large church. All of a sudden, they were dealing with people from all different nations. People who had left their homes just for a week to come to the feast and never went back. Because Jesus grabbed them and he kept them there. And the Holy Spirit filled them and gave them a new family and a new vision, a new purpose. And there they are. And here's what we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, talking about them. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. And they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I know we looked at this passage briefly a couple of weeks ago, but I want us to chew on it a little bit this morning and spend some time with it. When it says that they were all together and had all things in common, who is it talking about? This is audience participation. When it says they had all things in common, who's they? The church, all of them, right? The apostles, they're the famous ones. Right? They're the ones that everybody knows. They're the ones that everybody, when you see them walk by, go, hey, wasn't that Peter? That's those guys. And it's the 120, the ones who were faithful, who saw him after the resurrection and knew that he was the Christ and had been there in the upper room when the tongues of fire came. And it was the 3,000 who had been added, people they had never seen before, people they did not know, people they had nothing in common with. That was them. All from different countries. All different races. Speaking different languages. Can you imagine what it must have been like trying to bring these people together? They had nothing else in common except for Jesus. And the, and the thing that's amazing about all this is the unity that they have. They are super different in every way, but somehow they blend together as one new family and it works beautifully the way that it blends. There's a remarkable harmony in this picture that we see of these people who have all things in common. They're of one mind. They're together in one place, sharing everything that they have, all for the purpose of glorifying God. And, and, and it's that harmony that's very, very hard to sort of get our minds wrapped around and get a picture of because we don't see much of this in the church today. But we are that same church. And what marks them should be marking us. And so I'm thinking, how do I, how do I explain this harmony thing? And I thought if I, if I could get a couple volunteers, I could probably explain this, okay? So let me just pick some people randomly without any thought. How about Rachel and Terry? Just randomly pick them and maybe Ricky. Why don't you guys come on up? With giving no thought to who I would pick. There they are. They just happen to be sitting there. 
Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to watch and listen. Because these guys, they may not have been picked randomly. These guys are going to help us to see what it looks like when the church comes together like this, okay? So have you ever, have you ever been like somewhere and somebody is singing and they just have a really beautiful voice? You stop and go, ah, Mandy's got a great voice. Boy, she's got a beautiful voice, right? Um, and, and you think, wow, that is, I wish I could do that. I wish I could sing like that. Um, Ricky, why don't you just, Ricky, anybody agree Ricky has a great voice, right? So we'll, we'll let Ricky do this. Ricky, why don't you just sing for us? Nice, right? Right? You guys can all do that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So, so that really is nice. You could just sit and listen to that all day, right? But, but I'm going to ask the ladies to come in now and just, just sing that same melody with them, okay? And let's hear how it sounds when they all sing together. better, right? 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 Nice? Okay, you don't have to clap. I just want to make sure you agree with me, okay? Um, so, so you got Ricky and his voice and his guitar, and that's enough, right? And then you add these beautiful voices, and all of a sudden, you've got something that is even greater than what you had before. Same song, same tune, same notes, same everything, but it's fuller, right? There's more beauty to it. There's more nuance to it. And somehow it's beautiful. But, but then there's another step that you could take. You don't have to all sing the same note just because you're singing the same song, right? There's something called harmony. If you, if you, anybody know what harmony is in, in music, right? There's something called harmony. And, and for those of you who don't have much musical training, harmony works like this. There are different notes within the larger key that they could all be singing at the same time. And all of a sudden it becomes much fuller, okay? Could you guys demonstrate, sing, sing this in harmony? cool? Okay, that's what God wants for his church. That's what God has in mind when he brings people together from all different walks of life, different ages, different races, different backgrounds and different cultures, different preferences and different ideas. And he brings us all together in one place. And he's like, listen, I have a song for you to sing, church. And I want it to sound full. I want it to sound beautiful. I want it to have texture and nuance. I want it to be the kind of thing that when somebody is going by and they just hear it in the distance, they stop what they're doing and they go, what is that beautiful sound? That's what God has in mind for his church. 
Now, now we're going to add to it even more, and we're going to do four-part harmony. Okay, are you ready? Well, just the four of us, we'll do this. Jesus, 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 there, there's just something, something about, about that name. Nice, right? Four parts, four parts. You guys are so full of it. It was so horrible, right? Right? Have you ever been around one of those people who can't sing a lick, but they don't know it, right? It's beautiful, isn't it? They're all usually sitting behind you in church, right? But, but it's, there's something that happens. Everything can be absolutely beautiful that's going on, and, but somebody decides to do their own thing. And when the person that's, that decides they're going to do their own thing, that their idea is better, their approach is better, their preference matters more, they're going to do it their own way, they're going to do it in their own style, they're going to do it in their own time, and their idea is better. And, and I'm sitting here, I'm going, you know, Rachel, I think you're just a little sharp there. I think, you know, Terry's timing's not just right, but man, if they could all just get on board with me. And everybody else is sitting there going, you're the problem. You're the problem, right? And that can happen in God's church. Sometimes we get so caught up in believing that our idea is better, our approach is better, our preference matters more. And we prefer our own preferences above somebody else's preferences, which, by the way, is the exact opposite of what the Bible tells us to do. In Philippians 2, it says that we are to consider others as more important than what? ourselves, right? And so when somebody comes in and they got their own thing and they're going to do it their way, man, they can bulldoze and it doesn't matter. We have three beautiful voices doing it right and just one person comes in and the whole thing sounds terrible. So, so let's try to do it one more time in, in four parts. Douglas, 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 don't you wish your pastor was hot like me? Don't you wish your pastor was a freak like me? <laughs> See, sometimes everybody's singing about Jesus and you're singing about yourself. You, you're, it's, it's just all about you. You want the glory. You want the praise. You want the admiration. You want the control, right? You want the honor. And so you keep making it about yourself, making it about yourself, making it about yourself. Listen, when we're singing our song as the body of Christ, I don't care if your voice is 10 times as good as everybody else in the room. It just ain't about you. And when you think it is, you throw everything off. You guys get out of here. Go sit down. Let's hear it for those guys. Thank you. So let's just get this straight. The song, the metaphorical song that we are singing as Christ's church is a song about Jesus. He's the subject. He's the topic. 
He's the reason. He's the audience. He's the purpose. It's for his glory. And we're singing to him. I want you to take your Bibles. This book's easy to find. Go to the book of Revelation. All the way in the very back of your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to look beginning in verse 6 of Revelation chapter 5. Now, this is that same Apostle John. He's got a vision from God. And the Lord is allowing him to see into heaven and what is going on in heaven. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 5 of Revelation verse 6. Listen to what John says he saw. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals? For you were slain and purchased for God, and your men, uh, and and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Now a myriad is 10,000. 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million for those of you who are trying to do the math in your head. He says there's at least 100 million angels surrounding the throne of God and they are singing to the Lamb. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, this is the book of Revelation. It's got all kinds of symbols there, and I don't have time to unpack the meaning of each of those symbols. That's not the point today. The point is this. There are, it's a very impressive lot that is gathered around the throne, right? It's a very impressive group that is there singing to the Lamb. There are the elders, 24 of them. We don't know who they are. They're just called 24 elders. They're throughout the book of Revelation. We see these 24 elders, and they're always bowing. They're always casting down their crowns. There are 24 elders. They sit around the throne. And most, uh, most Bible scholars think that the 24 elders are probably the 12 apostles and the, and the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. These 24 elders, some of the the most significant uh, people for God's kingdom during their time on earth. 
and they're sitting around the throne. And there are these creatures, these living creatures that are described, and they are weird-looking creatures like nothing you've ever seen. And they are designed to be awesome and majestic and awe-inspiring. And these living creatures also gather around the throne and also bow down and also sing the song of the Lamb. And there are angels, at least a hundred million of them. Like, have you, ever, have you ever thought, oh, to hear the voice of angels? A hundred million angels singing the same song in a hundred million part harmony. How awesome. How overwhelming. How beautiful. And everybody falling down before whom? Who? Jesus. They're falling down before Jesus. And they are singing about whom? Yeah, Jesus, the song of the Lamb. And, and they are singing for whom? For Jesus. And they're singing to whom? To Jesus. Over and over and over again, we see that Jesus is the center of all worship, all praise, all adoration, all honor, all glory. And in the end, they say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And all that the four living creatures can say is amen. It's an awesome picture. They're singing not their own songs. Not, not this, this little poem that I wrote and put to some music. But they're all singing the same song. And meanwhile, back on earth, too often, this kind of harmony is nowhere to be found among God's people. Lots of people singing their own songs. Lots of people singing their own names for their own glory. Too many people making it about their voice and their preference and their style and they're singing in the key that suits them best regardless of the key that everyone else is singing in. Regardless of what God has called the church to be about, they're about their own thing. Too many people, too many pastors, too many congregations really are trying to stay in harmony with the world. If we, could, if we could just be like them, maybe they'd accept us. If we could just fit in, if we could just, you know, be cool enough to earn the world's respect. Listen, church, I have news for you. The world is never going to think you're cool. If you walk with Jesus, sincerely walk with Jesus, you have to give up on the idea that somehow the world is going to see me and go, isn't he cool? Isn't she great? Because Jesus said, when they see you, if you follow me, then they are going to throw stuff at you. So here we are at the church and we're doing everything we can to get in harmony with the world because we think if the world would just think we were cool, then they would rush the doors and the world would be changed. But that's not what makes the world rush the doors. What makes the world rush the doors is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. What makes the world rush the doors is when the activity of the Holy Spirit is so awesome that they cannot stay away. 
What, hears, what makes the world rush the doors is when they come and they hear a message of truth that causes them to stop in their tracks and go, what in the world is my life about? I've been missing it. It's all about Jesus and to repent and come to know Christ. So we're trying and trying to get the respect of the world. And guess what? It is not working. The world does not respect a broken, fragmented, fractured church where everybody is singing their own song and everybody is doing their own thing. They are not attracted to a group, a group of people who are doing it that way. That song, the world hears our song. And to them, it's a bunch of noise. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's getting ready to give us this big picture of love and it says, listen, if you speak with the tongues of angels and if you have power to, to speak the word of God, and, and if, the, if, if you have all of these great spiritual gifts, and yet you have not love, you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's what the world hears. That's what the world hears when a church is broken and fragmented and arguing and pointing fingers and standing their ground. Everybody's singing their own songs at different keys for different audiences. And... And when that happens, not only does the world see that it's a bunch of noise, but the worst part, the worst part is that Jesus is being robbed of the glory. That's the worst part. Listen, by God's grace, if you're a follower of Jesus, by God's grace, one day you're going to see that throne that I just read about. One day you're going to be in the presence of the Lamb and you're going to see the living creatures and you're going to see the angels and you're going to hear the voices. And you know what you're going to do? You are not going to sit back, get your phone out and go, I've got to record this. <laughs> you are going to do what they do. Fall on your face and sing your part. That's the church God has in mind. Why wait till we get to heaven? Right now, in many ways, Jesus is being robbed of his glory. It's supposed to be about him. And when we all get on the same page, Jesus hears the beauty in the song. And I know he smiles. And the world hears the beauty in that song. And they're drawn to it. Meanwhile, so much of the American church is busy singing our own tune. And, and individuals in the church, what are we singing about? We're singing about President Trump, whether you love him or whether you hate him. We're singing about our favorite sports teams and who won the game and who won the championship. We're singing about our views about global warming and whether our neighbors ought to be taken off to jail because they're not recycling. We're singing about arguing about spiritual gifts and what spiritual gifts are active in the church today and which ones are not and which side are you on and you got to add something to your church name that tells people which side you're on in this big spiritual gifts argument and we're arguing about our spiritual gifts rather than using them to bless one another and advance the kingdom. We're singing about our own preferences for music styles. We're singing about which preachers the famous ones that we align with. And honestly, it's just a bunch of clatter and noise when God's church gets like that. Now listen, I am not saying that we all need to sing the same note 
or that we all have to sing in the same octave. It's the harmony that makes it truly beautiful. I'm just saying that the early church did not make it about themselves. They were very different from one another, but together they formed a beautiful choir where everyone sang their part and the world heard something that they had never heard before. And by the way, what does it say back in Acts 2.47 where we read? It says that when the church was acting like this and everybody was in harmony, that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, I, I wish I had a dollar for every book that's been written in the last 20 years about church growth. How do we make churches grow? What's it going to take to make churches grow? I'm telling you, these guys had never read a book on church growth. They had no marketing strategy. They had no great buildings. They had no great programs. They had no great plans. They were in harmony. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, don't miss the point. I am not talking about a strategy for church growth. The most important part is not that God was adding to their number. The most important part is who God was adding to their number. It says, and God was adding to their number day by day those who were being what? Saved. We're talking about the salvation of souls. We're talking about the fact that when God's church is living in harmony like God's church, God can use His church to do amazing things that don't only change the world, but they change eternity. How many times and how many ways have we said it? Loving God and loving people leads to the changed world that we envision. As we love God and love people, the world changes, but not just the world, but eternity. They all focused on the same things. It says back in Acts 2, it says they focused on the teaching of the word. They focused on prayer. They focused on fellowship. And they focused on worship. That was it. And they had all things in common. And they did it together. They were undistracted. They were singing the same song in the same key. And their unity was so obvious that they stood out in a community. Remember what community this is. What city are they in? Jerusalem, the most religious city in the history of the world. Everybody in Jerusalem is religious. Everybody. There's all kinds of religions represented there in Jerusalem then as there, as there are now. It's a holy city for everybody. All these people are religious. They know what religious people look like. They have been around religious people their whole life. They were raised in religious families. They grew up in religious neighborhoods. All their friends are religious. Their friends' parents are religious. Their kids are religious. Everybody's religious. And now here's this new religious group, 3,120 of them. And immediately they stand out in a sea of religious people. There's something different, something wonderfully different, and everybody knew it. That's the kind of church God wants to see. That's the kind of church that God uses. Various people all singing the song of the Lamb in harmony as one. 
And if that's ever going to be true of the 21st century American church, if that's ever going to be a good picture of the church we call Grace Fellowship, probably some of us are going to have to change. Probably some of us are going to have to surrender some things. Probably some of us are going to have to decide that it's going to be more about him and less about me. Not just my involvement in the church, but my whole life. That, that I'm not going to live as though I'm the center of my own life anymore. I'm going to live as though Jesus is the center of my life. I'm going to live as though I actually believe what I say I believe about God. That, that eternity is what matters and life on earth is short. That loving people is the highest priority of God. That caring for one another is the example that we set so that a world hears us singing in unity and comes to hear the song. I'm going to have to do some things in my life perhaps to change. I'm going to have to let go of some things that I've always held on to. I'm going to have to unstiffen my neck and stretch in a way that I have never stretched before. I'm going to have to make allowances for someone that I would rather not make allowances for. I'm going to have to be willing to do things differently than maybe I've ever done them before. I'm going to have to change. I don't want to leave you today with just this thought of harmony and wouldn't it be nice if the church was in harmony and no idea what to do about that. Not long ago, I was on the, on the freeway, as all of you will probably are on a daily basis here in Southern California. And, and I'm on the freeway and it's Southern California. The traffic's moving, but it's below 60. A lot of cars. And I'm in the second lane from the right and I'm just kind of cruising along, doing my own thing. And I notice there's a guy just ahead of me in the right lane with his left blinker on. And he needs to get over. And so I have that same moment that all of you have when I see that he wants to get over in traffic. And I think, you know what? Why don't you get over behind me? So maybe I'll step on it. And then the Holy Spirit hits me in the head and says, you have to be a Christian even when you're driving. And so I say, okay. And so what I did was I just slowed down a little bit to make space so he could get in. And I made plenty of space for him to get in. And he just stayed there with his blinker on. And so I, I slowed down more. The guy behind me was uh, waving at me. And there's a big space between me and the car in front of me, which is not allowed in Southern California, right? <laughs> I, and the guy's there with his blinker on, and I'm doing this. Come on, dude. I'm trying to be a Christian here. <laughs> Get over. I got places to go, right? Just let me be nice. Come on. And I'm waving at him, and his blinker's just flashing, and he's just driving in that lane. And I said, you know what, dude? Get behind me, Satan. And I just punched it, <laughs> got ahead of him. Said, look, I gave you 11 seconds of my life. You didn't take it. I'm sorry, it's gone. It's so annoying when somebody's got their blinker on and they're not changing lanes. Guys, so many Christians I see are living like that. It's just like we always got our blinker on. Oh yeah, I, I went to Bible study and somebody really kind of challenged me about this area of my life and I decided, you know what, I'm going to need to change. 
and my blinker's been on for weeks, and I'm just in the same lane. Oh yeah, I went to Sunday morning worship service, and boy, it was like one of those days where they opened the passage, it was right exactly what I was going through. And I'm pretty sure somebody told the pastor what I was going through because he spoke directly to me. And when I I couldn't fight back the tears, my lip was quivering. I just needed to get out of there because the Holy Spirit was working in my heart so much and I knew I need to change. And I turned on that blinker. I said, Lord, I'm changing lanes. And that blinker has been on ever since. Some of us, need to change lanes. Some of us need to go, perhaps part of the problem with the church is me. Everybody's singing in harmony. Maybe I'm the one who's off key. Maybe I'm the one who's making it about me. Maybe I'm the one who needs to change. I don't know where you need to change. I don't know what needs to happen in your life. But guys, I really believe, if I can, if I can reverently speak for God, I really believe, based on what I see in the scripture, that God is sick and tired of people driving with their blinkers on and never changing lanes. And if the Lord is speaking to you about some area of your life that needs to change, it needs to change. Notice I'm not talking about the programs of the church. I'm not talking about your attendance on Sunday mornings. I'm not talking about how much money you put in the plate. Maybe the Lord's talking to you about one of those things, but that's not my point. My point is you live a whole life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I know the Lord wants us all to change. And if we begin listening to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ, the more we all look like Jesus, the more harmony we sing in. And a world sees that, and they're drawn to Him. Maybe today God wants you to act on the blinker that you've had on for a long time. I'm going to leave that between you and God. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, today we are confronted face-to-face with a vision that you have for your church that is frankly beyond what any of us is used to. And, and even in a church that takes your word seriously, even in a church where your spirit has some freedom to reign and move and direct and guide us, Father. So many of us, we're singing our own song in our own key, in our own tempo, in our own way, and we're not listening. And Father, as your Spirit prompts each one of us, maybe in just one area of our lives today, Lord, would you just speak to us? Would you speak to us as individuals so that as individual members of one body, we might all get healthier? And Lord, help us to put down our strongholds. Help us to put down those preferences that matter to us so much. Those ideas that we're willing to argue about, even though you're not willing to argue about them. Help us to make it about you and not about our pet project of the week. Lord, help us to change lanes. And may we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.